It's great to have everybody here with us today at the chapel. We welcome you, especially if you're visiting with us for the first or second or third time. We're so happy that you've come to be with us. Um, we have some more information about the church if you're interested. If you go out the exit door to the right, there's like a welcome center there. And please feel free to pick things up. We always serve food in the back afterwards because we realize food is an important component of fellowship. Please stay around. Um, and talk to us a little bit um, and, and, and enjoy fellowship with us. But we're really, really happy to have you here and we welcome you if you're a first timer or if this is your 95th time here. Either way, we're so delighted that you've come to be with us today. Uh, let me give you just a couple announcements. Um, you have the brochure that you got when you came in the sheet. That will help you also. But a couple things coming up. Sunday school will start up again on September the 10th, and um, so we have that for young people all the way up to the adults. With the adults, um, we're basically, our Sunday school, which starts at 9.30, will be, we're going to have one Sunday school on marriage enrichment, and the other one's going to be on, the, 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 the fancy word is apologetics. That doesn't mean you're going around saying sorry, sorry, sorry all the time, okay? Uh, it means you're, you're defend, how, how can we defend our faith more effectively in the world in which we live? So we're, we'll come up with a catchy term. We got a couple weeks here, but the one is on defending your faith and the other one is on enriching your marriage. So we hope that you can come and join us September 10th for the Sunday School Hour. September 2nd, which is a Saturday, uh, for men, we have a men's breakfast. Uh, Ed is really uh, running that thing, and if Ed runs it, you know it's going to be really good. So there's going to be plenty of food. Is there a cost? Is, it's no co- Guys, it's free. Free food. And good food at that, right? Eggs and all the stuff, right? So September 2nd, come and be with us for the men's breakfast, and then not only is there going to be a time of prayer and fellowship, but Ed tells me there's going to be a game time. I have no idea what that's going to be like, okay? But I, it will be worth it, no doubt. So that is September 2nd. That's coming up in just about three weeks then, right? Okay, so that's coming up very quickly. And lastly, on September the 15th, which is a Friday night from 6 to 9, we have a benefits dinner for our community blend program. And, Jewel, there's only about, what, 25 seats left. So if you're interested in coming to that, Again, when you go out the exit door to the right, Jewel, will you be back there? Okay, so, so she, she can help you with that. But that'll be a time where you'll have a dinner and then, um, wow, what else? It, it'll be a great time. Not skip, uh, it, somebody speaking. It's going to be a great time. And, but, and you also get an overview of what, is, what has been happening and what will be happening with Community Blend. Is that good, Jewel? Okay, so see Jewel on that. Um, that is on September 15th, which is a Friday night from 6 to 9. And I think that's all the major announcements that I have. So let, let me open us up in a word of prayer. Um, some of you were asking about um, Pastor James' wife, Amy. And so Amy, Amy is still in the hospital, but she's doing better. So they're hoping for her to get out very soon. And um, they're just still working through some, some detailed issues and so forth, but if you'll keep Amy in prayer, and James is with her today, um, so let's, let's keep her in prayer too. All right, let's look to our Lord in prayer. Father, it is a delight to be with your people. It is even more of a delight 
to know you as our Lord and Savior. Um, It's completely overwhelming. We thank you that you have made us a community of faith. We thank you, Lord, that you are our Father. I pray that as your people, we will be a confessing, repenting people who as you bring sin to our mind, we turn it to you and we turn everything in ourselves back to you because you are the great God who has been so good to us in sending your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Father, we would pray for those who have been suffering, some in the hospital, some needing surgery, some with ongoing cancer, other, other ailments and situations, some of which are physical, some are emotional, some are spiritual. Lord, we are a needy people. We need your grace each and every day. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that are experiencing a whole host of sicknesses and difficulties and challenges. We think especially at this time of Amy. Lord, that she will know your presence in a way that goes beyond all understanding. And Father, we pray that you will grant wisdom to the doctors, healing to her body. We we give all that to you knowing, Lord, that you will minister to her soul and deepen her and her faith walk with you. So, Father, continue your good work. Encourage James. It's always hard for a mate to watch a mate experience these challenges. Lord, help us in our personal lives. We are all people who struggle spiritually. We're not home yet. We're still pilgrims in this world, and we need your help through your spirit in accordance with your word. So, Father, continue that good work making us more like your son. Father, we would also pray for our government at the national level, at the state level, at the local level, that you would grant wisdom to our officials and then the courage to do what is right. Lord, we commit this hour to you. We commit our lives to you. We pray that you would do your good work through your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.
listening to that song and I was remembering about 40 years ago um, I was traveling on a different road and Christ came into my life and he changed everything he gave me blessing after blessing after blessing and even in the valleys he's always been there he's a mighty mighty God who's able to do all things and there's nothing that he cannot do and whatever you're going through he will be there in the mist. He'll be in the eye of the hurricane. He'll be in the eye of the storm. So no matter what you're going through, God is with you. He is always with us. And he'll see us through. So Heavenly Father, we thank you and give you glory and honor and praise for such a mighty salvation, Lord God. Lord, though the world is filled with chaos and what's right is wrong and wrong is right, we know that you have given us a firm foundation on which to stand on. Lord, we pray that, uh, Lord, that you would bless this service. We pray that, Lord, that what a blessing it is to be in your house. 
I pray for Doug as he brings the word, open our hearts, open our minds to hear your word, oh Father. And we thank this in Jesus' name. I'm going to be reading from the word of the Lord from 2 Peter 2, 10 and 22. And here is from verse 10. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they do not, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in the pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, an accused brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bazar, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it, and are overcome, they are worse off in the end than they were at the beginning. You may be seated. So it's always hard to say goodbye. Um, last weekend, on Sunday and Monday, um, I had to take my son and, his, and my daughter-in-law back to China, my wife and I. Plus, we had to take them to JFK. That's like a double whammy, right? Um, so we had to take them on Sunday, and then I had to take my daughter back to travel back to Ukraine, to Kiev, to minister there um, on Monday. So it's always hard to say goodbye. We all know that. It's true not only of our immediate family, but our church family. Um, some are going away to college. So how many, how many students will not be with us next week because you're heading to college? I see one? Yeah, several, several, okay? So uh, Godspeed to each one of you, okay? We... Uh, we love you and we're here, so don't forget that. If we can be of help to you, you know. So our college students, we want to give a shout out to them. There's one other person I'd like to mention. And matter of fact, I'm going to ask Laura Mack to come up at this time. If you want mine, Laura, I'm going to pray for you. Laura, man, Laura, I don't know. How many years have you been here at the chapel? Uh, yeah, I know. I think I've been here since 2004 or 5. Wow, it's been, a, it's been a long time. Yes, yes. And 
these people, you've all been my church family. And it is very difficult to go. I can't, I can't express in words how much love I have for each and every one of you because you've given me so much love. And I found home here. God drew me right here from the beginning. I know it because I prayed and prayed for a church. And he certainly delivered big. <laughs> Maybe just tell them where you're moving to. I'm moving to Delaware, yeah. uh, Lewis, Delaware. So it's the shore area ah. of Delaware. <laughs> okay. well, so, yeah. Register that. Right, right. My door is open to anyone that wants to come. Yeah. We, we will welcome you. We have two guest rooms. <laughs> but it's a, it's a venture that's difficult. But it's also I'm trusting because I know God has a plan for wherever we are right. and wherever we're planted, we will bloom. <laughs> we want to pray over you. Thank you. Yeah. Father, we thank you for our sister, Laura, her, her ministry here, whether it's through grief share or just one-on-one -on -one sharing her love and encouragement. She's been such a great encouragement to me. God, encourage her now as she goes. I pray you'll grant her wisdom as she finds a church down there of like-minded believers with whom, who can minister to her and she can minister to them. So guide her, Lord, in that pursuit. Continue to use her in ways that only eternity will show. And Father, as she has opportunity to visit, Lord, we will rejoice to see that. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you for your Thank ministry. You. Thank yeah. you. Well, um, I was given a rather sobering text today, as you probably heard it, right? You're probably sitting there like, oh, well, that's an interesting passage to actually work through. But um, it's in God's word, so we preach it, right? Because it's important, and we believe that. Have any of you been, um, oh, thank you, thank you. Children ages five to eight can, can leave at this time for junior church. If I missed any of those, thank you. Thank you, Scott, for the reminder. But have you ever been a victim of false accusations? You know, maybe it's been on phone or on the website. And I mean, it's amazing what people promise sometimes, isn't it? Like you can grow all of your hair back. You know, or, or even if you're in your 60s, your abs can look like a six pack. That's a complete lie. I didn't have it when I was 20, you know? Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Some of them are humorous. Some of them are a bit more serious. And the, and the people engaged in these false accusations, this advertisement, if you will, um, sometimes they know that what they're saying is a lie. They get it. Other times, I think they completely believe it. But it's still a lie. As we come to this passage in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 to 22, it is a passage of false accusations where, where people will promise you things and make statements which are completely false. It happens spiritually in our day, doesn't it? There's a, there's a growing number of websites that I'm not suggesting you go to. I've gone to several of them just to check it out. Um, 
and, and one of the individuals struck me as interesting. It's, it's an atheist website, but he actually attended uh, the school where I teach. Now, before, I didn't know him. He was, he was before I came. And so I thought it was interesting to kind of hear about his deconversion experience, as he calls it. So I went and you know, listened to some of those things. And, and um, I, 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 I've seen that kind of again and again from different individuals. And it, it's one thing when they leave what they never actually had to start with, okay? That, that's one thing, it's terrible, it's terrible. But it's doubly bad when those who leave because misery likes company, turn back and try to grab as many people as they can in the process and take them with them. Why else would you develop an entire podcast on atheism that you've drifted into and you're trying to grab as many professing Christians as you can? They do it on podcasts. They do it in books. Um, do you know the name Bart Ehrman? Incredible story. Made a profession of faith, went to, went to Moody Bible Institute, Wheaton College, and on to Harvard and walked away from everything. And, and, and that's terrible. But then it's turned around and written a whole series of books to undermine your faith. I mean, th that's, that's part of what you experience in our world, which is why courses like apologetics are really important for us. Because what happens is that stuff hits you again and again and again, and you begin wondering like, well, I don't know, is this Christianity stuff legit? I mean, haven't you ever thought that? We all have. It's not only true in our day, it was true in the first century. And, and it's part of what Peter is writing to in this passage. And it's not only Peter, Paul will talk about the same thing. Can I, can I just read for you? Uh, well, why am I asking? I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, you probably drives you crazy. Think finder, don't ask us. Just read it. Okay. But in Acts 20, 28, Paul is meeting with the Ephesian elders. He's going to be going on to um, Jerusalem. He's going to end up getting uh, put in prison for two years and then two years of prison in Rome. So it's a really difficult time. So this is kind of some of the last words he wants to say to these individuals, at least at this point. And in Acts chapter 20, and in verse 28, listen to what he says. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful text, I, I'm just going to read this section. He says to the elders at Ephesus, keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave... Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Wow. Paul talked about it. Peter's writing 2 Peter shortly before he actually dies. Paul has already been killed. And he carries the same story 
after I leave, I mean, do you think the devil like kind of just says, well, I fought this battle long enough. I think I'm gonna let, let, let it up. Are you kidding? No, this is a relentless battle until King Jesus returns. And in this passage, Peter wants to talk about these individuals. And, and I have to tell you, scholars are kind of all over the page. And I don't have all the specific answers of exactly what these false teachers were. I'll just give you a kind of a mix. They, they kind of strike me as being Epicurean-like, okay? Because like Epicureans did not believe that the deity would be directly involved in your life. They were just out there having a happy experience. And you, Epicureans would say, Epicurus would say, should also just have a happy experience. Stress-free, guilt-free living. But does that sound familiar? It sounds somewhat like our Western culture a little bit, doesn't it? Anyway, so, so he's talking about these elements, and you've got people that are saying, look, this idea that Jesus is going to come back and God's going to hold you a, a, a accountable for the way you live, that's baloney. Things just kind of keep going around and around. You don't have to worry about that afterlife stuff. And this is coming from people who at one point had come into the church and said, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord. And because of other influences in their own life and baggage that they never gave up, because I would argue they were never Christians to start with, eventually they turn around and they say, this Jesus stuff, no. And you know what? You ought to be able to have a guilt-free, stress-free life where you can do whatever you want. So, even something like adultery, it's okay if it kind of meets where you're at. I mean, text is going to talk about it. And so these individuals had come into the church, and whether it's Epicureanism or a series of other philosophical systems, they've been shaped in such a way, now they're speaking to people and they're saying, forget God's authority, do whatever you want. It's okay, guilt-free, stress-free living. Wow. And Peter says, I got to talk about it because it's completely false advertising. So what he does in this passage, there's basically two movements that I want to talk through with you. Um, although, just to kind of give us a, a running start into the passage, um, I'm going to go back for just a moment, if you have your Bibles there, to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. James had preached on this section last week, okay? And the, the, the key point that comes out of that passage is in verse 9, where, where Peter says this. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. That's his point. So it is sober, because on the one hand, people that say you can live any way you want, judgment is coming. And God's people who say, will I make it? God says, I will deliver you. I will protect you. I will take you the distance. Look at Noah, look at Lot. And he gets to the end of that section after making that wonderful statement in verse 9, and says this in verse 10. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and they despise authority. 
So he makes this general statement, the God of history is a God who comforts and protects his people and will judge the ungodly. That's especially true of individuals who say, gotta get all the gusto you can out of life, do what you want, sensuality, and they despise authority. Which is the very experience that Peter's churches are having with these false teachers, or at least potentially, it's coming in. They're feeling some of this stuff. So what he does in this passage is he's gonna talk through the character of the false teachers, and then he's gonna give you their true condition. What they're really like. Don't go with the facade. Your hair will grow back if. Forget it! Here's the real condition of those individuals. So he goes from their character to the condition. So here in verses um, 10 through 13, 10b through 13a, he's going to talk about, <coughs> I'm sorry, and, and through 16, he's going to talk about their character. At the end of verse 9, remember I told you he said they had two problems, defiling passions and despising authority. Right? You got that? What he does in, chapter, in verses 10 through 16 is he talks about those two items, but in reverse order. So first of all, he's going to talk about despising authority in verses 10 to 13a. And then in 13b through the end of verse 16, he's going to talk about defiling passions, which is basically Doug Finkbeiner can do whatever he wants. Guilt-free, stress-free living. Do you see? So what is their character? Here, like I said, in verses 10 through 13a, he's going to talk about the fact that they despise authority. And it's interesting where he goes on this, because he, he, he could have gone a lot of different ways. Ultimately, the authority that they're despising is God's. And I have to tell you, when I read these verses, this is a tough verse to interpret. I'm going to give you my take on it. It's where most scholars go, but it's a tricky text, okay? I'll let, just let you know. Listen to what he says, 10b. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, the question is, who are the glorious ones? And I don't know about you, but I tried everything I could in working through this passage to make that good angels or God. But it doesn't work. The only interpretation that makes sense is that he's talking about demons. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. Who cares if you blaspheme demons? Or better word, revile or slander demons. Like, who cares? They're against God. I don't care. So you begin to ask yourself, like, what is going on in this passage? You see the challenge? When you read the parallel to this passage in Jude 8 and 9, it only makes sense that, these are, that it's demons. Because Jude 8 and 9 says, even Michael the archangel did not rebuke Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you. So it's clearly talking about the enemy. So I'm thinking to myself like, what in the world is going on here? Well, let me keep reading and I'll try to explain it to you. Um, 
bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So he distinguishes angels from glorious ones. They should be trembling, and instead, they're blaspheming. Here's what I think is going on. If they're following Epicureanism or something like that, they are either denying the existence of the the demonic world or downplaying any power or influence from the demonic world. And we, we, we see some of this stuff actually even in the book of 1 Corinthians. Do you, do you, remember, do you remember in Corinthians, where um, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and one of the things some of the Corinthians are saying is, look, 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 um, we're Christians, we can go into those pagan temples, we can participate in those pagan uh, sacrifices, it doesn't matter, because there's, there's, there's only one God anyway, and they're not gods, and whatever. And Paul goes, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. There is only one God. But there's a whole demonic world out there. And the demons are behind all that stuff. You can't go in and engage in that. No, 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 no. See, you already feel some of this stuff when you read the scriptures elsewhere. But for whatever reason, they're saying, demonic world, no biggie. Who cares? They, they don't exist. I don't, whatever. I can do whatever I want. I choose what I want, and it only is about me. They're bold, and they're willful. Listen to what he says. Verse 12. But these, like irrational animals, um, have you ever seen a rabid animal? Would you use the word rational when you talk about that animal? Not rational, scary. And what you typically do with something that's rabid is you capture it and you kill it, right? Because of the harm it can bring. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed. In other words, These false teachers are like animals completely out of control. And the only thing that you need to do with them is capture them and put them away. Because they're just downright dangerous. Um, But these like irrational animals, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. Don't you hate to hear people talk confidently about stuff that they know nothing about? Drives me crazy. You know, sometimes when people don't know I'm, I, I teach in theology and something like this, and sitting around just kind of talking, well, you know, Peter and Paul, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you don't have a clue. I don't say that. I, I try to be nice. Like, have you considered other possibilities? Yeah, you try to be nice about it. But in my head, I'm going like, buddy, you really should not be talking right now. I never say that about you. Okay, I just want you to know that. Okay. I mean them, you know, the people out there. You know, you know. Be careful here. No one will ever share with me again. But, but you know, that's what he says. You so say you have these people, and they don't even know what they're talking about. Oh, demons, I would be. Um, and, and I don't know. I, I remember, I remember um, when I was at the University of Penn, 
I, I took a class called ethni eth ethnicity or ethnicity. No, it wasn't eth eth ethno something of belief, which was a really strange title. I never fully understood the whole title thing. But the thing that the, the professor wanted us to do through the whole class was just analyze experience that people call non-natural and supernatural. So we, we looked into ghosts up in Canada and near-death experiences and yes, a whole host of things, you know, reading. And one of the things I found in the reading of that is there's a whole group of people that would call themselves scientists that say you can explain everything away that you think is supernatural. You can just explain it all away. Doesn't really happen. And what was interesting to me, the guy that was teaching the class, who was very, very careful, basically came to the end of the class and he said, there is no explanation. There is no natural explanation for this phenomenon. And he was right. And I, I hear him, I'm sitting in a secular university going, praise the Lord. Because it is, there is a supernatural world. And these people are irrationally talking about things that they know nothing about. Blah, 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 blah. These people, the text tells us in verse 12, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wages for their wrongdoing. I really like the way the ESV says that. Just like the very demons that they downplay and all the supernatural world behind it, just like those demons are going to be judged one day, these individuals will come to see that that's reality because they will be judged too. It's very strong. They will suffer wrong as the wages for their wrongdoing. You keep doing wrong to people. You keep lying to people. You keep deceiving people. You will face the judgment of God. Strong language. He goes on then to say this in 13b. I'm sorry, I should stay here. I'm still here, right? Yeah. When he talks about the character, remember on the one hand, they despise anything from the supernatural realm. They despise authority. On the other hand, they're given over to defiling passions. In other words, life is about what I want. Yeah, I, I've mentioned to you several, go, several times, you know the Frozen song, Let It Go? That's like terrible advice. That's like really bad advice. I know the tune's really, really good, but you hear it you know, um, but, but it's really bad advice, right? This guy would love that song. He'd say, let it go. Okay, so... Listen to what he says when he talks about defiling passions where you do whatever you want in 13b and following. He says this, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. When do people normally do their carousing and wild parties? Nighttime! Where these people are just saying, let it go. And you know what? It doesn't matter if it's during the daytime hour. They revel in doing that stuff. You just need to be you. Or whatever. And what he does, then in verse 13 down to verse 16, 
he uses two images to kind of capture their character in this area of sensuality. The first one comes out there in 13b when he says, they are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Um, I was at a wedding yesterday. Actually, the wedding was on Friday, but it was a family wedding, so we stayed overnight and then spent some time with the family. And I had this really nice, one of my favorite T-shirts on, you know. It's really, really nice. And they had fruit for breakfast. You know where I'm going. And those raspberries looked really good. I put my raspberries in with my blueberries. I was real careful with the blueberries not to drop on my shirt. Guess what got dropped on my shirt? Raspberry. And, it, and, and you know, Chris, being a guy, what happens when you get raspberry on your shirt? Well, my wife has told me since that I should take like a knife and I should scrape it off first and then put some soap on it. But you know what I do? Right? I mean, like, get it off, you know? And in doing that, I'm smearing it up all on down my shirt. So I had to go to the bathroom and do the soap thing, as my wife told me. But it was this big blot. And I'm talking to family members who I don't see very often. They must be thinking, like, what's with him? <laughs> Doesn't he have a better shirt than that? Well, I don't know. That's what I had. It's just a blot right there. And, and, and it's funny when it's raspberries on your shirt. But when it describes your life, that's a bad thing. Jesus has come to remove the blemishes. To one day make us completely spotless like him. He's all about purifying us and transforming us from the inside out. And these guys are just blots, blemishes, defections, which characterize people. So that, that's the first image. So when you read blots and blemishes, think of raspberries. They revel in their deceptions while they feast with you. So they come and they have you over for a meal and they talk and they say, you don't believe some of that stuff in Christianity. I mean, really, do you? Come on. You know, and pass the pan, and they eat and they talk and, and they just push. Wouldn't you like to be free? I mean, really free? Get away from all those restrictions and blah, blah, blah. And, and on and on they go. Listen how they're described. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. Folks, that's terrible. They come in to a gathering, these men, and they look at all the women, and they look at them wrongly. And they look for opportunities to manipulate and control and to end up in bed with them. They are insatiable in their passions. You can't give them enough. They want more and more and more. But they're here to help you with guilt-free, stress-free living. It's a tragedy. They entice unsteady souls probably referring to younger Christians, you know, who, who aren't quite sure on their theology anyway. 
and they pull, boy, they know exactly who to talk to and what to say. They have hearts that are trained in greed. It's amazing. You've all been to training sessions. You work hard to develop a skill and so on and forth. You know what these guys train for? Expressing their greed toward others. How can I take from you? How, how can I seem like I'm giving what I'm really taking? Now, I have to tell you, folks, I haven't had this experience with anybody here at this church, okay? But I've seen this far too often in Christendom, where people under the guise of being ministers of the gospel completely manipulate people. This is the truth. I I won't give you names or locations. I know of a church situation where the pastor told teenage girls that they should sleep with him because he was the pastor. Is that nuts? Run from those people. Have nothing to do with it. It's all about them. They can say blah, blah, whatever they want. It's garbage. It's destructive. It's terrible. They're like Balaam. Forsaking the right way. In other words, there was a time when they claimed to be on the path. Forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. He was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's prophet's madness. You know the story of Balaam. Remember Balak comes to him and says, man, we got to do something about these Israelites. They're going to come into the land and create all kinds of problems. We got to get their God against them or something. So there's this Balaam guy out there who apparently has some connections with Yahweh Let's bring him in and have him curse the people. And Balaam says, no, I can't come because God, God's not going to let me do that. And they push back. And, so, and finally, he comes even though he shouldn't come. Remember? And he's gone along. And that donkey all of a sudden goes off to the side. And he's getting his legs smushed up against the, the, the rock on the side. He's ready to beat that thing. And all of a sudden, it turns around and says, there's an angel standing in front of us with a sword. He's going to kill me if I step there. He's going to kill you too. And all of a sudden, he sees him. And, and what he's doing is he's saying, that animal through whom God spoke is a lot smarter than you are, or at least wiser. And he stops and doesn't do it. And Balaam went anyway, and he, every time he tried to curse, he was going, blah, 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 blah. blessing came out. But the end of the story is, you read in the book of Numbers, you don't read it in the original text that I was just reading, but later in the book of Numbers, you find that he went back to Balak and he said, I got a great idea. Why don't you parade the Moabite women in front of the Israelite men? And when they get interested in the women and they all come together, they can worship the false deity and God will judge his people. And it's exactly what happened. And Balaam ended up leading them astray after he had gone astray. So Peter says, that's what you got to watch out for. 
I mean, I, people will tell me something like, hey, I, I grew up uh, in Christianity and I walked away from the whole thing and blah, 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 blah. And you ask them sometimes, like, well, like, what was it about Christianity that you walked away from? They, they got a couple things that they got from a podcast that they're going to throw at you. And like, you've read through the Bible then intensely and be before you completely walk away from the true and living God, like you've really examined this yourself in detail, right? Almost never. Because it works their side of the street to live as if there is no God. So they can do what they want to do. Peter, Peter is deeply concerned with the influences that come upon the people of God. In fact, I'm not thinking of anything specific here in this congregation at all. I'm really, I'm really not. I hope this is more preemptive and proactive than anything else. But you and I know there are all influences out there on the websites and everything. They're everywhere, folks. And I, I'm a pretty positive guy. I like to talk, I like to preach the soft passages in scripture. Yeah? The happy ones, the joy, the love. But we need the hard passages too. It's all God's word. And if you don't have the one, then the soft stuff's not as meaningful, frankly. When you understand the hard stuff, then the soft stuff is really soft. Makes a difference, and vice versa. It's all important to keep it in, in, in together. He then switches gears in verses 17 to the end, and I'll, I'll speed it up here a little bit. Um, he talks about their true condition. So you have these false advertisers saying, hey, you can have this and that, and forget that, and blah, blah, you know, all this stuff. Peter says, let me tell you who they really are. Let me tell you where they really stand before God, what their condition is like. And so he unpacks that here in verse 17 and says this, makes this, this statement again, he's using another um, image. And this time he uses the image, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. Can you imagine? You're out in the desert. You finally come upon a well, and you're so thankful. Like, we're going to make it. There's water, and it's dry. Or I, I, a couple weeks back, I know we had some terrible storms here, here in Jersey, but a couple weeks back, we had a really big, what I thought would be a major storm coming through, a lot of rain and so forth. It was dark. It was black and all like that. We got, like, almost nothing. It just kind of went by. And he's talking to people where rain is critical for agriculture and for survival. And he says, if you, if you try to go to a spring and there's nothing there, if you're hoping you're going to get some water from this cloud and it's waterless, it is completely empty. There is nothing there. These false teachers are hollow from the inside out. They never give what they ultimately promise. Not in a way that's beneficial. So these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Now, and folks, I have to tell you, that's strong language. It is. But this is the God of the universe before whom we stand. It's not my world, it's his world. 
And that's what he says. And then he explains, verse 18, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they're just blah, blah, blahing. You can look up blah, blah and see the technical term there if you want. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. In other words, they go after new converts. Because these are people that are, I mean, he's already said in 2 Peter, the beauty of the gospel is we can do nothing. We fall down before Jesus Christ. He forgives us of all of our sins. And he starts this process as we follow him, not perfectly, but progressively, in which we're learning more and more what it means to become more and more like him. So the corruption of the world around us begins to fall away as we follow him more. It's always a struggle. I get that. But that's what God's doing. But, but in this passage, you've got false teachers who say, I'm going after them. Because they're just coming out. And they're struggling. And they're not sure. These guys say, oh, hey, you're, I'm a Christian too. Oh, you are? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, my pastor, oh, your pastor, <laughs> what's he know? I mean, I know a lot more than him. I bet he's never taken a class in philosophy or whatever. I don't know. Whatever they say. It's actually not true, but whatever. But, 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 you know, they say all kinds of crazy things. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. Isn't it crazy to you? How often people will tell me, Man, I'm just living and loving life, doing whatever I want. When according to Paul in Romans chapter 6, you are completely enslaved to your own passions. No, I'm free. You're not free. Only Jesus can set you free. Because freedom is not doing what I want. Freedom is living as God designed me to be. That's a big difference. And these people are saying, freedom, freedom, freedom. And they're enticing people in with it. And they're, pro- they're just empty clouds. Hollow through and through. He goes on to say this. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Now, folks, when you read that, it kind of sounds like you can lose your salvation, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it? These are people who apparently have come to know Christ and that they no longer have to live that old world style, worldly style. And now all of a sudden they're turning back. They're turning their back on Christ and going back to it. So therefore, they were saved and now they're not saved. You could see how some people, and, and there, there, are, there are some believers that read it like that. I think they're wrong, but they do. And I'll tell you why in just a second. Let me keep reading. 
It's, it would be better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. The, the God of the universe, Jesus Christ has come, God the Son, and he has died for us. And he gives us the command to know and follow him and they completely walk. What the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to its vomit, probably working off of Proverbs 26. And the pig, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. One of the reasons, not only because of what scripture says elsewhere, that I don't think these people were Christians to start with. I think they were professing Christians, but I don't think they were possessing Christians. I think that because of the theology of the New Testament as a whole, but in this passage, in the proverb, a dog never stops becoming a dog. And a pig is still a pig. You can take that pig and you can put all kinds of nice clothes on that pig. Maybe a little bit of lipstick, whatever you want to do. I don't care. But that pig looks so real nice and, and you know, and then all of a sudden, you look around, and that thing's back in the pig pen, just loving that wet mud, right? I, I'm not a farmer, but you know, you, know, you know what I'm saying. He was always a pig. He was always a dog. He's just revealing who he truly is. And Jesus will talk about different soils in the Gospels. He'll talk about true converts who grow at all at different paces, but their life is marked by growing. Sometimes they grow like this and they feed, but you know, you, your life, is your life that way? You take two steps, you, uh, you, 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 you reorient, right? I mean, isn't that how we live? But you're growing, you're going somewhere, and some are taking greater strides than others, but a true Christian is progressing with setbacks. When Jesus shares the story of the four Gospels, he talks about two soils which appear to be good soil. But because nothing lasts, it indicates that it was never good soil to start with. You see? And so, when I read about people and I watch a podcast of a guy who is now just completely vindictive against Christians. I couldn't believe it. And in this situation, his wife is a believer, still trying to take her children to church, and he's trying to undermine everything she does. And I'm just I'm thinking like, that's sad. It's terrible. And Peter says, these individuals who are promising freedom are completely enslaved, trying to entice new believers. And the fact that they have, they're now living the stress-free, carefree living life again is just merely a dog returning to its vomit. That's it. And you shouldn't look at their condition and say, oh, wow, look at everything they get to do. Should say that's a dog or a pig. Well, you might not say that, but do you know? Do, 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 do you see? That's their true condition. They have walked away, and he says, the fact that they have gotten this close, like Judas. Would you want to be Judas? 
would sit beside Jesus and hear these glorious truths and go his own way so that Jesus said it would have been better for you never to have been born. Because with heightened privilege comes heightened responsibility. For you to hear the glorious message of Jesus Christ, the wonders of the gospel, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, the hope that we have for for eternity, and it's like, forget it. It's all myth, malarkey. It would be better if you never heard in the first place. Because the judgment will be severe. With heightened privilege comes heightened responsibility. It's always the way it works. And so, leave you with this. Don't be fooled by the promise of false teachers. Whether they're on podcasts or in your church or in your neighborhood or in your Bible study. But rather reflect upon their self-centered character in their completely hopeless condition. They are enslaved people that will face judgment. I um, will leave you with this. I wasn't sure if I was going to read part of it with the time, but I, I, I might take just a moment for it. I, my, my brothers and sisters, if you are struggling in any of these areas, will you please talk to somebody? Don't isolate yourself and talk with somebody. There's many people around here who know and love you that would love to help, especially if you're a newer Christian. Talk to other Christians here. They know. They can help you. Um, Do you know the name Lee Strobel? He's, He's written some great, great books through the years, and I was always taken back by his um, The Case for Faith, one of the first books he wrote. He's written like a case on everything, you know. It's pretty quite amazing, but he's done really some really wonderful work. And, and, and he tells the story, because he, he actually went and interviewed this guy. He tells the story of uh, Charles Templeton and Billy Graham who were best of friends in the 1940s. They were both working with Youth for Christ, going around and evangelizing together. And then over a period of situations and so forth, Templeton told Billy Graham, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm done with Christianity. I'm done with the whole thing. And, and, you know, Billy tried to, you know, obviously talk to him about it. And he tried to make Billy walk with him. Billy said, no, I, I, this is God's word. I, and not only is it God's word objectively, I have seen it work in my life again and again. You know, and he's out. So Templeton went his own way. Well, Strobel, shortly before he died, when, when Templeton was around 80, I think he had gotten um, Parkinson's or I, I don't remember exactly what he got. But he actually went and, and, and Templeton interviewed, did an interview with him. And, and he asked him a series of questions and he said it was just kind of moving along um, when all of a sudden, he was talking to him about Jesus. And, and, and let me just read some of the excerpts of what, what he said. Templeton said this to Strobel, speaking of Jesus. Jesus was the greatest human being who ever lived. Now, that's all he thought he was, was a human being. 
He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. What could one say about him except that his was a form of greatness? Strobel says, I was taken back. Strobel said, well, you sound like you really care about him. Templeton responds, well, yes, he's the most important thing in my life. He stuttered, searching for the right word. I know it may sound strange, but I have to say that I adore him. And then later in the argument, I won't read the whole thing. It's, 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 it's really an interesting encounter. It's very sobering. Templeton says this, and if I may put it this way, and Strobel said, he said this with his voice cracking, I miss Jesus. He then got his composure back and said, uh, let's move on. How could you not miss Jesus? But he was far more than human. If he was only human, he was the biggest egotistical person that ever lived. But if he's the God-man, then he is the wonder of the world. Folks, in John chapter 6, a bunch of disciples are looking to walk away from Christ because he says some hard things, would-be disciples, professing. And Jesus looks at the 12 and says, are you two going to walk away? And I love, I love Peter's response. Don't you? Where are we going to go? You're the only one with the words of eternal life. Like, there's no, like, what other option is there? There is no other option. To leave Christ is to miss Christ. To know Christ is to submit to his authority and know that his spirit will empower you to live in the way that you cannot do on your own. And that is the gospel at work. I pray that for each one of us. Christ is worthy of everything. Lord, thank you for your word. Some passages are much more sober than others. Father, Protect us as you promise you will from the lies and the deceptions of the world around us. It's easy to become enamored. Protect us. And as your people, may we look for others who might also be influenced in a way that's detrimental and may we be there to talk with them and to help them as you call us to do. Father, Thank you for your son. Thank you for your transformation. Thank you for freedom as you describe it. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, this uh, brings us to our communion service. How appropriate in the face of a group of individuals who despise God and his authority to come as his people and say, we completely submit to and are lost in the wonder of the cross. Do you see?
We, we don't, if you're visiting with us, we don't take communion because there's anything magical here. The juice is juice, the wafer is a wafer. And th- you'll see they're together, so if, if this is new for you, you get them together. Um, we do this to remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. Because that's our hope. Our hope is in the risen Christ who has died for us. Who is coming back. And so we do this, as 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, until he comes. Do you see? So I invite you, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, to celebrate with us the wonders of the cross. I'm going to ask the gentleman to come at this point and pass out the elements.
The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul continues, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul concludes, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And suffered for my pardon And he 
Every breath, I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home, and day by day, I know he will renew me, until I stand with joy before the throne, to this I hold, my hope is only anyone in this room or watching online that might not completely understand what we're talking about right now, I ask Lord that um, you would draw them to someone who might be able to speak with them about the gospel and the, the epic truth of what Jesus has done for us. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for our church. And now as we go, Lord, I just ask that <clears throat> you would bless us to be able to learn more and more what it is to lean on Jesus constantly, to not be swayed by um, just the days that we live in. So God, just bless us as we go. Thank you for Doug's message this morning and just uh, ask that we bless us as we go. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. Have a nice week, everybody.